Hey, everybody, and welcome to Cancer in the Room, the podcast. Now, the goal of our podcast is to highlight the inspiring stories of athletes, sports executives, and medium personalities who have faced and beaten cancer. In the sports world, the term cancer in the room is often applied to a person whose behavior is disruptive and negative toward their teammates or organization. Now, in our particular case, all of us on this podcast have cancer or continue to battle cancer each and every day. Now, our spin is this. The battle is real. It's hard, but we all have a ton of life to live, and we all wish to, you know, try to blow through all of this and enjoy it as much as we possibly can. So that's the cancer in the room, and we're striving to push forward in a positive manner, and that's, that's what this is all about. And we also love talking about sports. And my name is Bryn Griffiths, and he is Dave Jameson. Our guest on Cancer in the Room today has hockey running through his veins through his four decades of being involved with the sport. Sit back because here's the long list of accomplishments okay. in his career. All right. As a player, he won three CIAU national titles with the U of A Golden Bears under legendary coach Claire Drake. He won gold at the U World University Games. And as an equipment manager, five Stanley Cups, three Canada Cups, one World Hockey Championship, two Canadian gold medal winning teams at the Olympics in Salt Lake City and Turin, one gold and one silver at the World Cup of Hockey. And a partridge in a pear tree. Today, please welcome to Cancer in the Room, Barry Stafford. You guys look very professional there, I must say. All right, Barry, we like to begin our conversations at this spot. What kind of cancer did you have? And if it's in past tense or are you still fighting this, what was your reaction when you first got the news that, that you'd been diagnosed with cancer? Well, I have multiple myeloma. It's a, it's a blood-borne bone uh, disease. And uh, I was diagnosed in 2011. So i got a long story here. But um, um, yeah, I'm, it, it's, it's a critical illness. There is no cure. Um, I was very fortunate to go through the first uh, level of treatment, which is fairly common, called the stem cell transplant. And, um, you know, after quite a few months of... Um, of chemotherapy and then a big hit of chemo, but, uh, I was in, I was in remission for 11 years. So I, I'm a bit of anomaly, uh, in a lot of ways, as Brent can tell you, uh, I'm, I'm a long ways from normal and, uh, but very fortunate. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit later. I did come out of remission just recently and, uh, and I'm, I'm thankfully I'm on back on a trial, but, uh, um, so that's, that's the deal with, I'm living uh, chronically with cancer, which is uh, a goal of all the you know, the great cancer hospitals across the world to get patients um, to be living like that. And so I'm, 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 I'm doing quite well, actually. Um, to answer your question about, you know, how did I deal with it? it? It, you know, that's the question that nobody ever wants to, or the, 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 the statement that nobody ever wants to hear from your doctor. You know, I'm sorry, sir, you, you have cancer. Um, but you know, my case was a bit different in, in that I'd been struggling for months and months before uh, I was finally diagnosed. And, uh, you know, I, I'm lucky being in the sports world and the hockey business to have, have all our good doctors on our side. And uh, Dr. Boyko was looking after me. And he finally, to the point of, uh, with Ken Lowell, my, my colleague and close friend, training partner, um, just said, Barry, you got to get to the hospital. So I, I, I was in, in an awful lot of pain and I was struggling um, I'd had a lot of tests before, but the, the initial time when the doctor said to me, um, uh, Mr. Stafford, sir, I, I, I have some bad news for you. 
um, there's a really high percentage chance you'll have you have bone cancer. Well, I, I, I didn't even pay attention to him because I was struggling so much. I said, look, buddy, I, I, I mean, I just need you to help me out here. I'm, I'm struggling. And um, I mean, I'm an optimistic guy, even though I was stressed. I said, well, that means there must be a, a percentage chance that I don't have it. I was a bit pissed off at the guy, really. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, I was admitted to the hospital that day. It was the 15th of July on uh, 2011. And uh, it wasn't until five days later that, that I actually got the, the, the diagnosis. It just seems like everybody knows the exact day when they heard that they had cancer. Did you know the exact time? Did they give you that? No it was early in the morning. I know it was about eight thirty in the morning, seven thirty in the morning when I was when I, uh, you know, went to emergency. But I can't. I don't know exactly. I was there for about an hour. Hey, but as long as I've known you, you've always been one of the most positive, optimistic people that I know. So, how long did it take you? And it doesn't sound like it was very long. How long did it take you to go from getting the the the, the diagnosis from the doctor? So, how long was that reaction time for you? Well. Let me say that in the week that I was before I was diagnosed, I mean the doctors didn't really know, and it was my wife was was with me every day in the hospital, and we were uh, I was struggling. I was in rough shape. I mean, my I had I had a fracture. My my clavicle came off my sternum. My I had a, a, a com, uh, compression fracture in uh, T four. I had pneumonia twice. I was struggling with um, my kidneys were failing, and and. Uh, you know, my bowel was, was a spasming, which I mean, I was really struggling a lot and, and it took them a while. It took about three days for them to sort all this stuff out. And every day the doctors would come in and I would, would say, well, you know, what, what the hell's going on here? What's wrong? What's they, they couldn't tell me. And so I, I was kind of fearing the most, the worst, like most, like, uh, you know, I came eyeball to eyeball with my mortality, literally. I mean, and, and, and the ter one turning point leading up to the diagnosis which was probably the most emotional time was my wife said to me, uh, you know, what am I going to do if you don't get out of here? You know, that was pretty yeah. tough. So uh, I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah. I, I had no idea. And it wasn't until Friday. I mean, that's a sad, a bit of a sad story for me. I haven't talked about this. I haven't really shared a lot of this with, with the public, but, um, um, it was on Friday that the doctor came in, Dr. Irmadeep Sandhu, who's, who's a very good friend and to this day. And he said to me, uh, I think I can help you. And I said, well, you mean I'm not going to die? I think I can. That's all he told me. I think I can help you. And from then on, uh, to your question, Bryn, I kicked, she kicked into high gear, man. I'm a, I'm a sports guy like you guys. I've lived in uh, high-pressure situations in sports my whole life. And... Uh, you know, I just kicked her into gear. I said, good, let's get to work. Barry, you've led me nicely to my next question, which was, was there a mantra that you had or referred to when you were working in, in the NHL or in hockey that you drew on as an inspiration to kind of help you get your mind straight and ready to go as you went up against cancer? Well, the only thing I know is, and I, I was very fortunate to be in that environment, was is, you know, high stakes. I mean, the Stanley cup, this is what comes to my mind. And I, I've, I've, I've mentored a ton of people since that, that day. And I still do to this day. And I just use the analogy about, you know, the Stanley cups are hard and it, it might seem corny, but it's the world we live in. So Stanley cup is the hardest trophy to win. I mean, 
and you need to you need to win 16 games and you need to win them game one game at a time and you got to you know we live in a world of clichés we all do you guys do and the media and the athletes and everybody and and you know clichés are there the name for a of reason our broadcast yeah. the name of yeah. our podcast kids room it couldn't be it couldn't be more appropriate really but uh so these these clichés are you know or they're there for a reason you know i mean Put your nose down and get to work. That's all I know, and that's all I knew. And so, you know, one one game at a time, one day at a time. I mean, it might have been one hour at a time for a while there. It was pretty tough in the early stages, but uh, um, that's the way I looked at it. You know, and I, I've been around so many character people, and, I mean, I've been in so many high-stakes situations with professional life. And, uh, you know, it just – it's because I'm an optimistic person and I was very fortunate to be in that environment. Uh, you know, I never looked back. I mean, face it, knock on wood, I'm a lucky bastard. There's no way around it. And, uh, but, um, I, I just went to work and I did the best I could. I, I, I worked hard at it as much as I could, I, whatever was in my control. Okay. I need to ask about your support unit because you talk about your family. But I also want to talk about the people that stepped up to say hi, the, the people who were backing you. We're often surprised by how some people find you and how they get a message out to you, you know, really close friends. Uh, was, was there anything that surprised you with the people who reached out? Well, I, I once again, I, you know, I spent lots of time at the Cross Hospital and lots of time in the chemo ward and uh, here, thanks. And, um, I know that there are fam there are people struggling with no without family support. I mean, it, it's heartbreaking. But but for me, I was so fortunate because my wife was with me every single day. Uh, I have family in Edmonton. My 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 sister Kathy's a nurse in Vancouver. She took two weeks off of work. Um, you know, as far as the family support, my mom was here with us here and there, as hard as it was on her. But uh, so so family support was amazing. The one thing that I will say, Brennan, I'm sure you you guys have both noticed this is that the the support from our community and the hockey business and the sports business is an amazing business and it's it's all about the people and the quality of, of the people and the character of the people. And I, I tell you, I was overwhelmed with emotion uh, when the diagnosis was. You know, I didn't really want to make it public or whatever, but I mean, if it, it comes out, what are you going to do? So. I had so many phone calls. I couldn't keep up. I, I just, it was overwhelming. You know, I was in rough shape and it, it really gave me hope and it gave me encouragement. Um, you know, Hal Hamilton, yeah. you know, through my years of the alumni, he, he, he's a cancer survivor and he's a, he's the godfather to, to our group. And, uh, you know, he poked his head in there one day out of the blue. I, I had, uh, I mean, of course, our friends and I was off. To, I was I finished with the team as far as the training uh, department, but I had lots of, you know, friends, former friends and players on the, that lived around and uh, um, staff from our office. But Billy Morris, my coach, and uh, when I coach played for the Golden Bears, you know, he was he popped his head in there a few times here and there. And, you know, the surprising people that you get calls from. Um, I remember, uh, you know, of course, Kevin was kicking around a lot and Kenny Lowe and, and Sparky, of course, my, my closest colleagues and friends. But uh, um, I got a call from Kevin Lowe one day and he said, hey, uh, I, I'd like you to I hadn't even been driving. I was in my recovery phase. So this was a little bit after the diagnosis, but uh, a couple months after he said, yeah, I got a, a friend that wants to see you. If you're, Are you able to drive? Can you 
can you come down to the uh, to the arena? He's doing some work with us. And yeah, I said, yeah, who is it? He goes, Mess. Mess Mess wants to see you. And uh you know now we gotta tell people that's Mark Messier because not everybody's a hockey fan watching this. Sure. So uh Yeah, I mean, so I mean I I we're talking about I, a legendary I, captain of this hockey club in Edmonton. Yes, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, I had tons of support from the former players. I mean, I've been around for so long. I mean, it's like you have so many friends in the business. And uh, I just, it was overwhelming, the support that I got. And, uh, you know, to this day, it's it's, uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty emotional, really. Barry, what did having cancer, going through the treatments, reveal to you about you things that you weren't aware you know strength that you didn't know you had what did you learn about yourself through this oh boy you know it's amazing how strong you can be when 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 strength is your only option like that's an i know that's that sounds like a cliche and i was somebody gave me that uh that saying one day and you know um, there, there, I, I'm, once again, I'm a lucky guy and I, my treatment with a stem cell transplant, I don't even get the details of it, but I was only in the hospital for a month. Um, and I, I would say of that month, I probably had three, nah, pretty uncomfortable weeks with thyroid chemotherapy. As an, as an example, I came in, 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 as an outpatient one morning, because I had to go back and forth. I was allowed to go back and forth, but um, I stayed in the hospital most of the time. But the doctor said, I don't know what the hell is uh, Dr. S- Dr. Steve Follett, a good, good friend. You know, I was dragging my ass. I, I, I was really having a hard time. And he says, what? I wonder why you're, you're feeling so upset. He said, I gave you enough chemo to kill a horse. What the hell do you expect? So he kind of, he kind of gave me a little bit of help there. But uh, uh, Dave, you know, I think... I was lucky because the times that were really, really tough, physically tough, um, they were short. And, and uh, you know, I kind of got through it and through support. And the hospital is so good. The, I mean, as you guys know, they, the nursing staff and the doctors and all the, the people that work in the hospital are there to help you. And, uh, you know, so I, I just... I, I, my, my whole attitude right from the beginning was get, let's get this done, get your nose down, whatever it's going to take. You just got to get her done. So get through it. And I took it, you know, at sometimes it was one minute by minute. It was hour by hour and then day by day, you know, until I got, got the hell out of there and got back to rocking and rolling. Now we've all lost people to cancer, but, but I think we've taken some strength from the people we've lost. And, uh, I, you know, we all get great advice. There's no denying that. A good friend of ours, Brian Ross, Roscoe, who was the video coach with the Edmonton Oilers back in the 90s. And even before that, he was a practice goaltender as well. We lost him to prostate cancer. But I remember having this conversation with him, and uh, I certainly have changed my view on how I look at cancer. He gave me some helpful advice in his last few days, and uh, he basically taught me to open my vision up a little bit. And you know what? He told me to focus on the positive things, the, the things that, that maybe I should be taking a closer look at. You know, this is told to me by a person who is no longer with us. I was able to use that to sustain me moving forward. Now, you must have heard a few things or had a few things happen to you as well where you went, man, if I could use that to push myself even further to beat this thing down, I'm going to do it. Uh, 
is there anything like that? Any way of kind of explaining how you've been able to dedicate yourself to maybe working with the Cure Cancer Foundation in the Edmonton area? Yeah, I mean, once again, Sylvia Twilley, Bill, you guys know Bill, Dave and, and um, Bryn, you know, we all worked with Bill for a lot of years. And Sylvia, his, his lovely wife, uh, passed away from cancer after a long battle. And Bill was very close to us in the team. And, you know, when I was diagnosed, he pulled me aside and he said, Barry, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice here. Just number one, um, we have one of the best facilities in, in the world and in, definitely in, in Western Canada, or even Canada for cancer. Um, you, you have to trust your doctors. I mean, at that time, you know, it's only 11 years ago, but there was so much, so much stuff on the internet and people are distraught. I mean, it's a stressful, scary time, as you guys know, and you're always looking for answers. And, you know, the one thing he said, just trust in your doctors. These guys know what they're doing. Uh, we have a great hospital here, especially for me and myeloma and blood cancer. It's, it's world renowned. It really is. And Dr. Uh, Michael Chu is, is world renowned on, on the work that he's doing right now and, and some of the trials that he's running for CAR T cell therapy, which is for blood cancer, leukemia, lymphoma, myeloma. Um, so I didn't go on the internet. I was afraid to, to, to go down that road. I mean, everybody has to be their own advocate and do their own work. But, uh, um, so I'm not, uh, discounting that, but, uh, I, I stayed away from, uh, from that. And I kind of trusted in the doctors and uh, I took, you know, I took it to heart what they were talking to me about and, and, you know, all the other things, you know, people that, that had been sick before and they, they, they gave us, they gave you hope. They gave me encouragement. Um, I have tons of funny stories to tell. I, I don't, we don't have a lot of time for all, all that, but, uh, but uh, that's kind of what I try and do today with, um, yep. with the lessons kind of lessons that I learned through it all is just trying to give people hope and, and understand that it doesn't have to be a death sentence. It's there's no guarantees in, in this cancer world. And I, you know, I have a, a three or four steps that I've come through with that. I, help mentor people with that, that I've kind of learned through the process, but, uh, yeah, it's, there's lots of learning, isn't there? There's lots of lessons we all learn. Hey, hey, the other thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that you've come onto this in a far different manner, a different perspective. You're seeing it and you're now dedicating yourself to a group like the Cure Cancer Foundation in the Edmonton area. Well, you know, it really started with, um, uh, Glennie Anderson was kicking around here with us uh, as an ambassador. And when I started my alumni role, that's got to be five years ago now. Uh, I, I was three years into that uh, alumni role, which was a great job. And uh, I was approached by Darren Baumgartner, who was one of the, uh, the who's, he was the director of the Cure Cancer Foundation. It was a, a newly formed foundation, um, just a group of solid business guys that, you know, or pillars of the community that really were, were trying to give back. Darren approached me and asked me, um, do you think Glenn Anderson would, would Glenn Anderson would come back and help with uh, the, the cross cancer uh, golf tournament? I said, well, of course he would. He's, he's one of the, along with Cal Nichols, he was one of the guys that, that started that thing 35 years ago. Of course he will. He'd love to. So it didn't take long for, uh, for me, for Andy to get in a room with uh, Natalie Minkler was our Edmonton Rose Community Foundation Executive Director and Bob Nicholson and all the group were very supportive. Andy came on board and I got my, I, I got involved in charities that, you know, at a different level. I had always been helping where I could, but 
you know, I was helping to, to run, uh, these guys run these charity events and, you know, uh, significant events last year, the, the, uh, Glenn Anderson day of golf, which I think it was the 35th year, you know, raised a million dollars in one day. So to your point about fundraising, um, you know, I'm I'm the recipient, the very lucky recipient of a new cancer trial. It was number one in Alberta that Dr. Sandu put me on, Dr. Chu and Dr. Sandu. And I've been raising money for funds for research for trials for five years, helping our, our, our Toast of the Town event, Bryn, which you helped us when you were a big part of. Um, our byline is what we do today saves lives tomorrow. And you know, the ironic part or not, uh, you know, I came out of remission, the treatment and, and the, the technology and the funding has been so well it, within two months, I'm back in remission because I'm on a trial that's saving my life right now from the funds that have been raised through tournaments like the Glenn Anderson day golf. I mean, Brent sake right. is, he does two million our, our good friend, Brent sake, $2 million dollars. Uh, Brian Ansice and myself, we do the Toast of the Town. We have the Bird Dogs Group, which is is a, is a group of gentlemen that raises money for tons of money for for prostate cancer. Um, so I, that's how I got started. Um, and once I got started, I realized that the people that I'm working with, the people that I'm volunteering with, are all just very special people. They're special human beings. They really care about making a difference, and they. They, they have pride and they have passion. And that fit me quite well because that was my motto for our, our and is our is the motto for the uh, Oilers alumni department, pride and passion. So, you know, I'm passionate about helping people in, that are on this journey. And as you guys both know, you're, you're vested interest partners just like me. We, we, we hold that red card. It's not a club you want to be a member of. No, you're but, right. uh it it's it motivates me it it inspires me every day to to uh continue to help people and that's that's how i, I really started through the Oilers uh, community foundation and the cure cancer foundation okay so in 1999 the guy we know wayne gretzky decides he's going to retire so it's probably about three or four days after his big madison square garden finale we all remember that and he decides to come back to edmonton to catch a playoff game well i was asked by uh Bill to Willie and Glenn Sather. Will you look after Wayne Gretzky on that particular night? So I had to pick him up at an event in downtown Edmonton and bring him in a limousine to the arena. We tried to do it so discreetly, but we were talking about guys inside the Oilers organization. Your name came up and he looked at me and he said, do you know that Barry Stafford is the most decorated of all the Edmonton Oilers? Now, you know, it's funny you bring that up. I mean, it, it to me. Once again, I had a great run. I mean, thirty-eight years with a, with an unbelievable organization, and through the dynasty years, and I just I came along at a really good time, and it seems like a different lifetime ago for me. Um, not that I'm not grateful, and you know, some of the the greatest things that ever happened to be in my life, um, besides getting married with, to my lovely bride, uh, in the sports world is, um, yeah is um you know five stanley cup champions i mean i'm i wasn't i never played a game in the nhl i never coached a game in the nhl i i, I but i was on a lot of winning teams and it's because of the winning glenn sather in the dynasty years and all those great players that we were so lucky to work with 
And, you know, winning is the common thread to um, lifelong friendships. And especially at that level, I mean, championship teams at any level are special, but uh, so uh, I don't, I don't want to sell myself short. I just feel very fortunate that I was part of those teams. I, I was a support staff member. I did whatever I could to support and, and, and do my job. And uh, it was because of winning that we did Canada cups. Holy smokes. I'm working with the best managers and coaches and players in the game. Three, three Canada cups. I was part of and it. Uh, you know, I see players and managers from those, those days and we're still, I have that in common. You know, I, I had a chance to work two Olympics and uh, that that O2 Olympic team with with Ryan Smith and Eric Brewer, Wayne, of course, ran the team. Um, Kevin Lowe was on our team, Lanny McDonald. I mean, as a, as an executive and management group, but that was uh, that was pretty special. And so, um, I, I'm just a real lucky guy, Brian. I, I I can't say enough about that. And and never never mind that. Twenty eight years behind the bench, you know, I had the best seat in the house yeah, for all yes. those games. I mean, but then, you know, I get a chance to, you know, help Kevin Lowe as, as the president in, in our organization in the, in, the, in, in the best building in the world. I just went through there the other day with Paul Coffey. He was, he was helping some typical example of a guy like Paul Coffey. He's, there's three of our close friends had, um, uh, one, one young guy was, uh, had a disability and he was in a wheelchair. A, a friend of ours, a couple other friends were, were, um, in wheelchairs, Paul says, I'm bringing him in the dressing room between periods. Or, like when the team went on the ice. I mean, you know, I, I walked through that locker room again. I haven't been there lately because I'm not around, but I just, it's just fascinating. And you guys have been in there and you've seen it. And because we had the support of a great owner and, uh, you know, he wanted the best in the world. And you know what? We all should be proud of that building because that is the best building in the world, bar none. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have done that. And then I get a chance to, you know, work with the best alumni in the NHL. The be- I mean, arguably we had the best alumni in the NHL, you know, look at the five, six guys we have in the hall of fame, uh, including now Kevin Lowe. I mean, it's amazing. And yet there was no real formal structure to, to help promote that. And, you know, Bob and uh, Kevin asked me to do that job. And that was a dream job for me. I, I, uh, so I was very fortunate. I had lots of different careers within the time there. And uh, I've got nothing but good things to say about my, my time with the Oilers. Barry, you worked with the greatest player of all time, and you've worked with so many Hall of Famers. Was there a player in your many years where you looked at him, uh, maybe in the early days of training camp or in the, you know, in the season, and you thought, I don't know if this guy is going to be that great, when in fact many years later, there they are either in the Hall of Fame or their name is hanging from a banner. Well, you know, I, I will say this, not to, to, to put a different spin on your question. That's a good question. I, I At the time when we were, and I mean, I'm the same age as those guys. I was a little bit older, I guess a couple years older, but I joined the team. We had the, the others, the best team in the NHL at the time. It was very intimidating for a young guy like me. I played, you know, for Claire Drake at U- university hockey, but I, I was, you know, far from being an NHL hockey player. Um, but I had a hockey player's mentality just because of the the great coaching, the great teams, three championships under Claire Drake. Wow. I mean, I learned a lot through that. And then I carried that over. So, but the one thing I will say is that nobody ever expected, everybody knew Wayne Gretzky was the best player in the game, even then. You know, Mark was up and coming and Mark was a was a was a great star. There's no doubt. 
Koff was, you know, he could have been Norris Trophy. That's, we're talking 83. So, I mean, I, that's a long time ago. But, you know, Yari Curry, nobody ever, other than Wayne, nobody ever thought about Hall of Fames and, you know, scoring championships, except for Wayne. We all kind of thought that he was going to go down that road. But, uh, you know, I will say, though, that for all of us, even though it took a long time for Kevin to get in the Hall of Fame, he was one of those guys that nobody no, nobody in the room would ever ha- have thought that he wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because he was one of the leaders of our, our team very subtly. But, uh, you know, they, they were all such good players. And uh, I don't think anybody would have thought, you know, other than Wayne, that, hey, let, or, these guys are going to be in the Hall of Fame or these guys are going to be the greatest players that ever played. You know, talk about Glennie Anderson. Look at the records these guys have. Like, he's still, yeah. rec- the record books, Grant Fear. I mean, so I, you know, Dave, I can't answer that because I don't, I don't really, I didn't think that way. And I don't really, I can't think of one player that probably stands out. One of the great privileges for me working with the Edmonton Oilers is that the the hub of activity was your equipment center where you did all the equipment repairs and that kind of thing. The coffee pot was always on. And, and then there was the back hallway, that kind of thing. You really ran that place. Guys would be a little in awe of you because of, you know, who you were at that point. But um, can you tell the story? Can you, I'll tell you what. Tell us the story about the laces. I have to set the record straight. Okay, do it here. I mean, I've, I've, heard, guys, I've heard guys telling me this, this bullshit story. It was in Mark's book the other, like, I don't know, a few months ago. And um, they said, oh, you're a cheap bastard, you know. I said, first of all, you know, I, I worked for Glenn Sather, and I would say that it wasn't about cheap. It's about val- being value conscious. I learned about, you know, look, looking after dollars. And Glenn was always close to the dollar and very careful about budgeting. So, you know, I had a reputation of being tight, but really I, I had, you know, the boss was breathing down my neck. And back in those days, Glenn was the, co- was the president, coach, general manager, and he's in the room every day. You know, yeah. it's not like today. You don't see the, the president and the general manager once in a while. The coach is in the room. but So it was a different era. Anyway, you know, Glenn set the tone for that. And he was just trying to get everybody to be responsible, really. Okay? So I will say that, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a cheap bastard. Okay? I will say that. He was just helping people to be, you know, responsible and, and aware that, you know, somebody has to pay for this stuff. So yeah. let's get to the laces. So now... Kevin, who was, you know, one of our leaders, one of my closest friends on the team for years, we're hanging out, you know, before the game. Every player's got a routine, right? So Kevin's routine was, of all, he would put new laces in his skates every game, which is, who cares? I mean, laces were three bucks, 25, I don't know what they were. I didn't, I didn't really give a shit, right? So he's putting his, he's putting new laces in his skates. Big deal. I'd be sitting beside him. We'd be having a coffee. I'd get up. He take the old laces out and chuck them towards the garbage can where the ping pong table was. Perfectly we were known to have a ping pong table. Well, you Perfectly. know, it wasn't that they, they, he used them for one game. I don't really care. I'm not asking Wayne, telling wait, I'm not telling Wayne Gretzky nothing, but Wayne or Mark or these guys, you know, you can't tape a new stick. Like they can do what they want. Right. But I'm not telling Kevin, he can't put new laces in his skates. I don't really give a shit personally. So the fact is, he took the laces from his old skates and threw them at the garbage can. And every time I get up and walk by, I go hit the garbage can, you, you know, just for fun. 
I'd pick them up, throw them in the garbage can. You know, so this went on for about, I don't know, three or four games. Every game he'd put new laces in. So finally I decided the little, little red wrapper that holds the laces together. I took the little red wrapper out of the garbage can. I took the used laces that he threw on the floor out of the garbage can. I wrapped them up really tight, put the, the little uh, label back on, and then put them in his stall. So he comes in the next game and he goes, wow, that's really nice. Barry put the laces in my stall. That's yeah. nice of him. So the, I got away with that for about two games. Mm-hmm. And finally, about the third game, maybe it was the second game, Son of a bitch, I get this this scream out of Kevin Lowe, you bastard, you cheap son of a gun. And then coffee would get into it. And then Huddy would get into it, you cheap. And so we laughed our asses off. But they said, you know, you... what happened was about uh, later in that year, we're, we're in the conference final in the old Chicago Stadium. Unbelievable, as you guys know. I mean, it's it's hard to describe that old rink. But we're, you know, it's warm up and you can hear the fans just buzzing. And about just about 10 minutes before warm up, it's very quiet in the room. It's a really nice time. The guys are just bantering and they're, they're uh, very loose. And uh, so I got a coffee. I'm wandering around the dressing room, kind of got nothing to do. I'm just kind of hanging out with the boys, hanging out for the warm up. And uh, little did I know that someone had planted a brand new lace in the garbage can. So I'm walking by and I see this brand, brand, brand new lace. I look down, minding my own business, not knowing that everybody's kind of looking at me. I picked this lace out of the garbage can and I'm thinking that's a goddamn brand new lace. So I start picking the lace out. I pick it out. It's tug. I'm tugging on something. I pull it up. There's a sign. I don't know about obscenities on your show here, but yeah, the sign said, fuck you. Fuck you, chicken legs. And the whole place just went nuts. And uh, that's a Stanley Cup. That's a conference final game with the Edmonton Oilers. And everybody was laughing and joking. And I was I was the brunt of the joke. But um, and that 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 story lived on. That's a legend. Mark Messi is writing about that in his book. He got yeah. it a bit mixed up, though, but it's still that's my that's story. Right. That's the true story. You've cleared it up, baby. Barry, I worked with a dear friend of yours and mine and a lot of us uh, in the industry, Dwayne Mandrusiak. He was the equipment manager, your counterpart for, you know, so many years at the Edmonton Eskimos. And I learned more from the equipment room and Dwayne in particular about how to interact with players, coaches, and anybody else in that world. What is it about the role of the equipment manager in terms of setting a tone for that organization and in that room? You know, it, it is know funny. No, I know he's, he's going to play, play it down. down. I know, I know. Yeah. It is funny that, uh, you know, you hear that from a lot of people that the, the training room or the equipment room is the heartbeat of the operation. And it's it's kind of funny because that's the place where the players gather a lot. I mean, there, there were, of course, we do the skates and sharpening and repairs and all those kind of things. But it's it, it's in the back. It's out of the way. It's a place for people to come down and have a coffee. Usually, right before the game, uh, early in the, it, on a game day, or even after practice. And um, you know, I think I I would have to credit, um, mo- you know, the characteristics that I learned and the kind of personality that I have 
I'd have to credit a lot to Glenn Sather for that in a way where he really sort of set the tone uh, about professionalism and about, um, you know, the, the traits of character and all those kind of things. Um, and, and as well as those, those other young players like Mark, I mean, the, the other thing that made the Oilers great that you guys may know and understand because you've had the chance to be around the team a long time is that the quality of the people like Mark Messier, Kevin Lowell, uh, Glenn Anderson, you know, Grant Fear's parents, uh, Curry's parents couldn't come around, but Wayne's parents, their parents were always there. Their dads, their moms were in the stands. Their dads were in the room having a coffee with us. These guys were quality, quality families, quality people. And they, they, they cared about, they honestly cared about people. And so, I mean, I learned from them. I watched Walter Gretzky all the time. I would encourage the dads to come into the locker room. Um, have a coffee. They were so proud to be in Edmonton. You know, come down in the locker room. So, you know, I, I kind of learned th- that side of it from maybe mainly from Glenn, I suppose. Peter Miller before me, my 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 training partner was very good that way. Uh, we just had a really open, welcoming um atmosphere in that room. And, you know, players would gravitate to that. Like we're like I've often said that the training staff, the medical trainer, the equipment managers are like the Red Cross. We're neutral, man. Like uh, I could walk in any locker room in the NHL and the trainers or the, the coaches or managers wouldn't even bat an eye because, you know, respectfully not caught, you know, walking in at a bad time or something. But, you know, it, it was just it was just something that we uh, and, and then the players gravitated to that because I, I was, you know, they could talk to us if they're having problems with the coaches, if they're having problems at home, if they're having problems with teammates, you know, um, and then years later, as we started to get a little bit older, you know, the players were younger. Um, they would come to us and ask our advice. And we, we, you know, we, we had a lot to offer because we've been through a lot of situations with, with great people to help us to be able to help them sort of thing. Hey, before we wrap this thing up, and there's one thing I got to say, thanks for all the stories. Thanks for telling us about how you handled your career, but also how you handled cancer right out of the gate. There's always a huge level of positivity around you. You always send out a positive message. And I know you're approached all the time. I, I know you are. We're always happy to talk to people who've gone through what we've gone through to see if maybe we can give some people something to aspire to. Maybe they'll ask us how we've handled that and we can tell them how we've done that. How do you handle that? Well, I tell you, it's very simple for me. I, I've been helping young kids in a lots of different groups for years. And I, I created a keynote called um, Winning in the Game of Life. And it was before I was diagnosed, but I've, I've, I've twisted it around a little bit. And, and uh, the concept is based on three main principles. Number one, choices. The choices you make, make you. Just think about that. It's a very simple principle. The second is adversity doesn't define who you are, but how you respond is going to define. And that can relate to sports. That can relate to life. And it can relate to cancer patients. Hey, life is like Rocky says, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Life is a bitch, man. It could be tough. And somebody in your life is going to get, is going to die. And somebody in your life is going to be in a terrible car accident. And somebody in your life close to you is going to be diagnosed with cancer. It's going to happen. It's not if, how are you going to respond? You know, you have the ability to choose. You understand that there is no easy way. Expect the unexpected. And the most important part that I've learned, and I know you guys have, I know it's in your heart, is you need to learn 
not to take things for granted. My good Lord. Um, the best way to say it is you need to learn to have an attitude of gratitude. You need to be grateful for all the good things in your life and not bitching and complaining about the dumbest things because until you're in a situation where you're looking your mortality eyeball to eyeball or you have a loved one that's in a hospital bed, uh, all of a sudden you get a slap on the side of the head. You don't need tragedy in your life um, to learn to live gratitude, to be grateful. You know, as Tim McGraw says, just be humble and kind. You know, we need more of that in this world. Um, I would encourage anybody at any time, and thank you for mentioning the uh, Cure Cancer Foundation. And uh, I, I will say that we've partnered with the Alberta Cancer Foundation in Edmonton. I, I mean, I, this isn't a business. I'm, I'm, it, it's not a, a business advertisement. But what I'm suggesting is if anybody wants to help, um, and there's so many great people in Edmonton and, and across this great country, but um, and it doesn't matter what cancer. You know, the Cure Cancer Foundation has a website we have, we have great, I, and I mean great events that are, the money is going directly to the, to the researchers and doctors. Uh, the Alberta Cancer Foundation raises $30 million a year. Uh, we're partnering with them. They've approached us. You can go on the Alberta Cancer Foundation website. Um, you know, 63 people every day in Alberta. I mean, this is a scary statistic, um, are diagnosed with cancer. You know, we, we, we lose seven over 7,000 people die of cancer every year in, in Edmonton, you know, in Alberta, sorry, in Alberta. So, uh, you know, there's ways to help. Um, there's ways to volunteer. There's ways to donate. And so, you know, learn about the importance of living an attitude of gratitude and, and anybody can help at any time. You just have to reach out. But anyway, Staffy, time to say thank you very much this is always great yeah it's my pleasure you guys and good luck with the with the uh podcast uh i'm so happy that you asked me to join and you know congratulations for this and i i love the name um anything i can do to help um you know please call you got it thanks so much barry that was wonderful that's it for today we thank you for being with us as we talk sports and cancer on our podcast we really hope the stories shared today will help make your day better and perhaps to inspire you to recognize so many have gone through so much. And there's positive stuff happening all the time on the beat cancer front. Now, if you have a comment on today's podcast or a suggestion of somebody you'd like us to track down, then send us an email. It's my email address. It's Bryn, B-R-Y-N, at road55.ca. You can also check out our Twitter feed. The handle is at Cancer in the Room. Or you can also check out our website, which is www.cancerintheroom.ca. On behalf of Dave Jamison, I'm Brent Griffiths, and thanks for joining us.